chapter 4. I love this chapter because it's really a general exhortation. Kind of Paul puts his, his uh, last uh, exhortation to this church at Philippi. And, and you remember now, uh, the, the book of Philippians is dealing with joy. And he's dealing with joy not from the beaches of Hawaii. He's dealing with joy from the prisons. And he's writing this church in Philippi from a dark dungeon uh, type of prison. And Paul has been abused. He's been forsaken. He's been uh, mistreated. He's been abandoned. And yet Paul knows something about, uh, about joy. He says in verse number 4, I want you to look with me in Philippians 4. In verse number 4, the Bible says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. That's such a, such a great verse. Oh, we ought, to, we ought to let our prayers and supplication with thanksgiving be made known to God. Look at verse number 7. The Bible says, "In the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds. Paul is now dealing with not only the heart, but he's dealing with the mind. He told Timothy that he is not, God has not given him the spirit of fear, but of, of power and of love. And what? A sound mind. He, uh, Paul talked a lot, especially in his epistles, to, about the mind, keeping our mind right. If I can say anything and testify in 2022, what we're dealing with, we have a pandemic, and it's not COVID. We have a pandemic, a, a pandemic of people losing their mind. Oh, I'm not saying COVID don't exist. It does. Very much so. But people losing their mind last, uh, was a here way before COVID ever got here. People, I'm talking about Christians. And Paul said this in verse 7, And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Well, I believe he goes on to say, Finally, brethren, in verse number 8, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. I want you to focus on that one particular verse in verse number 8. He tells us at the very end to think on these things. I want to preach with God's help this morning on this. Thinking well leads to living well. Or how you think leads to how you live. You are what you think. One of the most quoted phrases in all the Bible is found in Proverbs 23 and verse number 7. The Bible says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So this is really God telling us the power of our thoughts. What and how we think changes everything about who we are. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, a man is what he thinks about all day long. So uh, in the next week, not this week, but next week, our teams will be headed to uh, a conference, a team conference, on that Monday. 
The following Monday, our other team, some of other teens and juniors and, and, and some of the kids will be headed to a camp, the Wilds. And so for two weeks in a row, they'll be going to places where they're going to be hearing preaching and singing that, that edifies and that, that encourages and that exhorts them to live for God. And here's what I've noticed after those weeks of camps and conferences. I've often noticed the kids, when they get off the bus, don't get off the bus the same way they got on. Something happens. Now, I'm not saying all of them. I, 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 I'm, I'm sure that there are some kids that they go just to cut up and they go just to, uh, just to uh, see somebody or they go just to get away from mom and dad. Now, I don't know of anybody in, the, in mind like that, but I'm sure it happens. But I would say that for the most part, Kids get off the bus or get off the vans and they go and they say, God, do a work in my heart this week. And God does. You know what, you know what happened? They changed their way of thinking. They maybe got on the bus. I remember when I was a teenager, I was rebellious from about the age of 14 to about the age of 17. I, I just, uh, I was rebellious. I didn't, got around the wrong crowd. I uh, did things I shouldn't have done. I ran with the crowd I shouldn't have ran with. And behind my mom and dad's back, I did things and, and just disappointed, broke their hearts. And uh, it happens. I was really that rebellious pastor's kid that sometimes you see and you're like, oh, that spoiled pastor's kid. That, uh, now, I didn't get away with things. My dad, if he knew, uh, he would have gotten me good. But, but I tried to get away with things. But God was watching. He knew. And, and uh, I didn't get away with a lot of things. But I, I tried. And I remember my dad knew that I was struggling in my teen years. And one night, you're not going to believe this. But one Sunday night at, after church, my dad, I was, with a, I was best friends with a guy named Jason. And we were not good to be around each other. I can promise you that. And one night after church, my dad called me and Jason up after people were leaving. And he said, uh, Steve, he said, uh, in the morning you're going to meet so-and-so and you're getting on a bus and you're going to Texas. I was 16 years old. I said, well, who am I going to Texas with? He said, well, uh, Jason's going too. I said, oh, yeah. I said, where are we going? He said, a youth conference. And I said, what youth conference? And he said, he named it. And I knew that place was mean. They preached rough. And, and my dad knew they preached rough. And he knew what I was. He said, you're getting on this bus. I said, Dad, I don't know nobody. I ain't, I ain't getting on. You're getting on that bus. I've done called that pastor. You're going. Sure enough, that next morning, I jumped in the car, and uh, my dad took me down to Charlotte, North Carolina. I got on a bus with another church that I didn't know, and they all looked like a bunch of weirdos to me, you know. And I was like, man, who is this? And they all big Greyhound bus. And uh, I, I went all the way to Texas. I'm not going to tell you what part of Texas, because if I, I did, some of you would already know where I went. So while we were down there, they preached the living devil out of us. I mean, they preached against everything. They preached against things that honestly, I don't know if God knew it was a sin or not. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, they just ripped us down one side or the other. Now, here's the deal. I came back, Brother Lee, I came back and I realized it wasn't really the preaching that affected me because I'm not sure it was really good preaching or not. But it wasn't the preaching that affected me as much as my dad's broken heart. Now, the boy that I went with, he said, I'm, on, I'm running away when I get home. That's exactly what he did. By the way, that's what, that's what he did. He ran away. It was terrible. 
his mom and dad forced him to go, and it was a bad relationship, and, and I don't want to go into too much detail there. But he said, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. If my mom and dad don't care this much about me to send me to this place, I looked at it more or less the opposite. I'm like, man, my dad must think I'm in bad shape to send me to this. I'm breaking my dad's heart. You know what? When I got off that bus, I hugged my dad's neck. I said, I don't ever go back there. By God's grace, I've never stepped foot on that property ever again. <laughs> you know, it was a heart change that I needed, but I, had, I needed to change my mind. God was trying to do a work. I want these kids to change their mind about things. A man by the name of James Allen said, every action and feeling is preceded by a thought. Here in our text, in verse number 8, the Bible gives us categories in which we can direct our thoughts. I want you to look with me again in verse number 8. It tells us, kind of broken down into categories, what God wants us to do. And by the way, you'll not find it better, a more positive list of things to think about than these things right here in Philippians 4.8. You're not going to find a better list. Right here, Paul puts it down through divine inspiration on what we should think about. The number one thing we ought to think about is this, according to verse number 8. He says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are true. The Greek word for true is the word alethes, which means that which is not concealing. Meaning that God is saying don't live in cover-up. Don't live in scandals. Don't live in things that are falsehoods. Don't try to cover your sin. Don't try to get these things and sweep them under the rug. Hey, live in truth. You know what we need to be? We need to be people of truth. When, often when I'm inviting somebody to our church out in our community and I'll hand them a gospel track and say, hey, do you go to church anywhere? No, I don't go. And I'll say, hey, come visit us at Bible Baptist. Here's a lot of what they say. Do y'all preach the truth down there? You know why? Because there are still people that are looking for a place that will preach. And by the way, not just preach the truth, but live it. See, it's one thing for me to get up here and tell you something that is true. And you may say, oh, praise the Lord, that's true. But it's another thing for me to step out of this pulpit and off this platform and go live it the other six days. Why? Because that is where the world is watching. They're not so much watching in here. You're watching. You're listening. But the world is going to see you Monday through Saturday living what you say you're doing. Let's be people of truth. See, uh, truth is a freeing element. Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 32, He said, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's a freeing element. The truth is a freeing thing. When you tell the truth, you know, sometimes people will start out and they start fudging the truth a little bit and they start making a lie. And before you know it, they get caught in it. And then they finally tell the truth. And here's what they say. Boy, it just feels good to get the truth out. Why? Because the truth is a freeing element. We need to be people of truth. We need to pre preach true doctrine. We need to live true uh, every day. So whatsoever things are true, you are to think about whatever things are true. Don't get your mind caught up on a bunch of conspiracies. Quiet. But if it's not true, then why are you dwelling on it? Oh, preacher, I believe it's true. That's the problem. You believe it's true, but it's not been found a fact. 
Be careful what you read. Be careful what you what website you go to. Be careful what book you read. Be careful what news anchor you listen to. Oh, listen, we need to be people of truth. That went over like screen doors on a submarine, but I'm going to tell you right now, we need to be true people. Amen. Hey, number two, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are, notice in verse 8, whatsoever things are honest. Honest in the Greek word is the word semnos, which means venerable or honorable. So it has been said that venerable person, a person that is venerable is one who is heroic in virtue. Oh, that we might have heroes of virtue, or people that are heroic in virtue, and that we'd have people that are just honest, and people that are, are uh, uh, sincere and true. I read a story the other day that someone had offered a, a proposition to a person to do something very evil for a million dollars. The person proposition said they would have to think about it. After two hours, the one who presented the proposition asked would they consider doing a dark deed for $10. The insulted replied, $10? What do you take me for? And the inquirer responded, we have already determined what you are. We are just trying to negotiate a price. Whether it's $10 or a million dollars, wrong is wrong. A lie is a lie. Whatsoever things are Honest, an honest person is one who is heroic in virtue. Is it's not for sale, not now or not ever. So the telltale sign of a person who is venerable is one who thinks about and seriously considers doing wrong. An honest person dismisses the bad thoughts from their mind. This should, by the way, stir us to discover, read, and meditate, and think on people who lived honest lives. I'm a, I love history, and, and uh, I was reading a biography not too long ago of Robert E. Lee, and uh, just, a, a, just a great man, to be really honest with you, and a man who has been tried to be canceled out of history, and a man that you ought to teach your children about. But Robert E. Lee always believed that he was related. Now listen to this, it's never been a proven fact, but he believed that he was related to royalty. He was related to royalty. So he, he always lived as if he was related to some king in England or some prince. And they call this in France a noblesse oblige, which means an obligation of nobility. The definition of that, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, says it suggests that noble ancestry constrains to honorable behavior. Privilege entails to responsibility. The reason that Robert E. Lee lived the way that he lived is because he felt like he was kin to royalty. Hey, I've got one better than that. We are kin to royalty. His name is King Jesus. And guess what we ought to do? We ought to live like we are a child of the king. We're an ambassador. Hey, we represent. And by the way, the world is watching. And we should not be people that are false. We should be, the Bible says in verse 8, true, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest. We ought to be honest. Here's the third thing. You're doing well. The third thing I find this morning is whatsoever things are just. See it in your verse? Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just. The word just comes from the word diakaios, which meaning equitable in character or act, innocent, holy, meet, righteous. 
The just is, is a person who thinks impartially and is free of bias. Someone who doesn't look through a respecter of persons lens or maybe doesn't look through a liberal lens or a conservative lens but looks through a constitutional lens. Hey, a Christian who is just, one who loves God, looks through it through a biblical lens. Not from the left, not from the right, but one that is centered on the Bible. A just. Don't let situational ethics cloud your thinking. Situational ethics is doing the wrong things in an attempt to get the right result. And a Christian, we do not have permission to do wrong in order to get a chance to do right. Wrong is wrong. Amen? Right is right. We never do something wrong just to have a right outcome. That's, that's the wrong. But let's be just. Whatsoever things are just. Hey, look at number four in your verse. Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Look at that. Pure. Pure comes from the word hagnos, which means clean, modest, and chaste. There's a man in the Bible by the name of Job, a man uh, who said in Job 31 and verse number 1, I've made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Job this righteous man realized that allowing his mind to gravitate toward unwholesome thoughts would eventually pollute his mind. Therefore, he made a promise between himself and God that he would not allow mental pollution to come inside his mind. Fellas, can I tell you this? I know we're talking about Job, but can I tell you that what you let in your mind, that, that sensual thing that you're allowing, whether it be from a phone, from a website, from a book, from a magazine, from workplace, whatever, you're allowing it to come in. You're thinking upon things that you will eventually act upon. You're allowing things to go through the eye gate into the brain. Oh, preacher, it's just something that I'm just looking at every night. No, 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 no. You don't understand the damage that you're doing. If we're commanded in Philippians chapter 4 to think on that which is pure, you have to ask yourself the question, is that image a pure image? Vance Havner, years ago while preaching in Los Angeles, he was watching the weather report that morning, and he heard the weatherman say, the pollution in Los Angeles is so bad that it is going to take a wind from elsewhere to blow it away. Vance Havner then started thinking. He said, man, the application of what this man just said is we can make application to that to the church. That it is going to make, uh, it's going to take a heavenly wind from elsewhere, the power of Pentecost, to remove the pollution that has hit the church. That came from a man who said that about 60 years ago. On a personal level, you don't have to wait for revival to come to the church. You may experience it in your own personal life. You have to make a choice. I don't want anybody leaving now. Some You men, some of y'all watching all this, you, there you go. Just have a seat. There you go. I've, all, I've, all, I've watched about 12 people already get up. I want you to listen. If I've studied this, it's preaching time. Some of you may think it's rude. Unless it's an emergency, you hold your hand up or do whatever. But I, I want you, I'm preaching. And there's lots of, and if you've got little kids, that's different. I saw my wife, she's probably mad at me now. She had to get up and take the baby out a minute ago. That's, 
I understand that. Kids are different, but we've had lots of teenagers leaving, and I need workers to help me with that. They're unsupervised. Amen? Uh, this is not Walmart. This is church. And I still believe old school that this ain't a shopping mall. You come as you go. It's church. And, um, and then we'll go. Uh, if I got up, well, never mind. I, I'm going to keep preaching because I've got to think on things that are lovely. <laughs> Which is our next point. Whatsoever things are lovely. That word lovely originates from the word prosphilis, meaning friendly towards. Friendly towards. Let's face it, a lot of people are just not friendly these days. Not friendly. Hey, if there's ever been a time in history, listen to this, if there's ever been a time in history where people are just outright hateful and rude, it's today. And by the way, it ain't just out in public, though it's, it's pretty bad now. It's even in the churches. Where people are just, they're not friendly. They're hateful. They're uh, my, my four and no more. It's me, myself, and I. And you, Hey, I remember I had been pastor for just a couple months, and I remember we were trying to get this church off the ground, and uh, we were praying and just trying to win anything that was moving and preach the gospel and pray and call. And I remember a, a family that I'd been working with trying to get them to come to church. They finally came. Oh, I was so excited. Now, there was some... Not so friendly people that was sitting over here and it was their seat. This was down in the old building, the old, old building. And this, this family I'd been working on came and, and sat down in their seat on Sunday morning. And that couple that had that seat that had, I guess, all them years walked by and looked at them and said, You're sitting in my seat. Ooh. Oh, I seen the words come out of her mouth. And I'm thinking, oh, no, no, no. Listen, I explained to that family after, hey, don't worry about that. Hey, you know, it's okay. Not everybody's like that. Try to explain that. You know what I hope? I hope somebody sits in your seat every week. There's no assigned seats here. Man, we barely fit in. We're still having two services. I don't know what we're going to do when we, 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 we go to whatever, I bust walls out. I don't know what we're going to do. But I know this, there's nobody that has a seat that's designated that says this is where I sit. No visitor can sit there. I hope somebody comes and sits right down in your seat. Why? Because you'll have to either be friendly or rude. And the true you will come out. Hey, friendliness. Oh, listen. It goes a little further than that because the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And I believe the latter part of that verse is an indirect reference to the Lord Jesus Christ as the greatest of all friends. And by the way, to think friendly, we must learn to love people. You love people. Listen, church. Well, pastor, they don't vote the way I vote. Love them anyhow. They don't look the way I look. Love them anyhow. 
They don't sing the way I sing. They don't, they don't do this the way I do this. They don't dress the way I dress. They don't do, hey, listen, it doesn't matter. Hey, listen, we are commanded whatsoever things are lovely, meaning that we should be filled with love and think about love. This past week, as I said, I preached in Georgia and there was a young man every night. He was faithful every night. He was in a... a a walker. He was only about 12 or 13 years old. Fine looking young man. He couldn't talk right. His speech was not right. There was, his legs wouldn't function right. I'm not sure exactly what disease or what it was that he had. But it was whatever it was. It was crippling. It was sad. That young man sat over there while all the other teenagers did all the activities and played the ball and, and uh, threw the ball and, and ate their pizza and fellowshiped and ran and played volleyball after the services and laughed. And I watched this young man sit at the corner of this building, uh, leaned up on his walker, and I'd see him every night, and my heart would break for him because nobody was over there talking with him. Or... I went over there the last night before I left, and I said, Man, I just want to give you a hug. I've watched you all, all week and you've responded and you've been here and I know it was so hot down there and he'd ride a bus to come to church and my heart broke. You know what that boy needs? He needs reminded that he's not different from the rest of society. He's not second class. That boy needs loved. And somebody needs to show him. And I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm sure that church did a great job. There was workers constantly uh, around them and helping them. But, but listen, we need to be a church and an individual, a Christian of love. But what, if we do that, then what are we going to do? We're going to have to think about lovely things. Get your mind off of hateful rhetoric. Rhetoric. Get your mind, I couldn't even say that. Get your mind off of hateful rhetoric. Get your mind off of uh, hateful news and uh, get your mind off of things that are demeaning and hateful and uh, all this different stuff. Even videos and movies that often would bring hateful things and violent things. Folks, listen, we need to be people that are thinking of what Paul said here, things that are lovely. He made a deliberate intention to do so. Jesus saw, he, he saw people and he set his love on them. That's what Jesus did. Look at number 6. In verse number 8, the Bible says this in Philippians 4. In verse number 8, he said, Whatsoever things are lovely and whatsoever things are of a good report. The Greek word for good report is the word euphemos. Euphemos, which means well spoken of or that which is reputable. The Bible says, speak not evil one of another, brethren. James chapter 4 and verse number 11. And when we voice an evil report, our heart becomes darkened with unhealthy thoughts. Even if a person of whom you speak has committed every filthy evil thing of which you speak of, you are allowing your mind to get in the gutter with them. And God says... In James 4, 8, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts. So let me say this, that dwelling on evil is not spiritually healthy. The Word of God says in Ephesians 5, 12, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. 
See, if we must speak of these things, make it a prayer request without sordid details. And by the way, be cautious not to turn prayer requests into gossip. I know that in this world you live, you, you hear all the, the evil reports and, oh, did you hear so-and-so did this? And, oh, you hear so-and-so. And, and honestly, church, as a pastor, you, you obviously hear things from people who need help. But can I tell you something? What are the details going to... When, when you're just gossiping and you're filling people in, oh, pray for this because this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. Listen, God knows your heart, but if you're just telling that to gossip... It's wrong. We ought to watch. I've, I've heard it before in, in prayer request time where, where someone has said, hey, preacher, pray for so-and-so. And they're a member of the church. They're struggling and they're not right with God and they're this and that. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. Just pray for so-and-so. Did you hear what so-and-so did? Did you hear what pastor so-and-so did? Did you hear what so-and-so did? you hear what he did, she did? Hey, be careful because it can easily become gossip. And let me just say this. Gossip is wrong. The world's worst people to gossip is pastors. They'll get together and they'll gossip about another pastor. They're the world's worst to get up here and tell you that gossip is sin. And then go to the coffee shop on Tuesday and gossip about another pastor across town. Best thing to do is get on your knees and tell God. And then close it. Don't gossip about your members. Don't get to somebody else and say, did you hear about so-and-so? Why? Because we all have that flesh that we battle, and if we're not careful, we'll dwell on gossip and not on a good report. How many of you love to hear good things? Raise your hand. You love to hear good things. I, I do. I know who I can hang around and hear good things about. And then I know who I hang around, that Brother Lee, I'm going to hear a bad report every now and then. I know who looks at things half empty, and I know who looks at things half filled. I know there's people that I get around them, they're negative Nellies. I mean, they're just going to tell you, Pastor, did you hear about this, this? And I have to watch how much time I spend with that individual. Because I'll leave, and guess what I'll leave? I'll leave with a negative spirit. I want a good report. Here's the last thing about this text. Look at verse number 8. The Bible says this. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Number seven is we ought to plant the seed of good thoughts and allow them to grow. Plant the seeds of good thoughts and allow them to grow. So in rounding up our thinking process, God says, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these Things. See, we don't have to wait until we have perfected the right thinking to start thinking rightly. Find good. How many of you believe that there's good in just about every situation? There's some good in about every situation. There usually, maybe, I mean not every situation, but just about. Start thinking about the good in those situations. Often we go to, Brother Linwood, we go exactly to the negative about everything, and that's where we stay. But our thinking, he said, listen, in verse 8 he says, if there be any virtue, sometimes there's no virtue, but if there be any virtue, 
If there be any praise, think on these things. If there's any praiseworthy, let your mind go there. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said this, Behind every human tragedy, there is a slow process of wicked, evil thinking. Behind every human tragedy. So behind this tragedy that happened Monday, a man climbs up on a a building and shoots innocent people. He didn't wake up that morning and think, man, I'm just going to go kill some people. That has been a process of wicked, evil thinking. Let me just say this. You don't wake up one day and decide to leave your wife or cheat on your wife. That's a process of wicked, evil thinking. Now let me give you the reverse to that. Behind every godly success, there is a slow process of righteous and lovely thinking. So you do good. You read your Bible. Guess what you did? You don't accidentally read your Bible. You thought about it. You got up this morning and you prayed. Oh, I accidentally prayed. I'm just thinking I'm just going to do that today. I hadn't done it in 14 days, but I'm going to do it today. No, you know what you did? You got up and you thought, man, it would be good to pray today. You do good to somebody. You buy somebody's lunch or you, or you, you do something for somebody and it's just one. That's not really spontaneous more than you think so. Sometimes we may do something that we consider spontaneous. But folks, let me tell you, good deeds, good success, there's usually a slowly a process of righteous and lovely thinking. Because according to my Bible, that's exactly what I believe Paul is saying. If there be any virtue. If there be any praise, think on these things. Paul wants to change our thinking. Church, listen. My thinking, I'm not preaching just to you. I'm preaching to myself. That's why I felt like we needed this message today. Why? Because I needed this. That's why I'm so passionate about it. That's why I'm so, I don't, I, don't, I don't want distractions because it's so, our thinking is so messed up. And listen, the truth of the matter is, is most of you, or not most of you, but a lot of you, I get one time to preach to you on, on a Sunday. I'll see you next Sunday. Sometimes it's two, maybe three, maybe four weeks. And listen, you are needing to hear from God. We need to change our thinking We get our minds in places that it has no business. And then, hey, I had a guy preach Thursday night. A guy came out and said, Pastor, I'm doubting my salvation. We're talking about a grown man that grew up in a pastor's home, saved. And he says, I'm doubting my salvation. And here's what he said. And I know I'm saved. And I said, well, then what? He said, it's in my mind. I just, it's in my mind and I'm doubting my salvation. Is it a sin to doubt your salvation? Absolutely not. But I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to change your thinking. And if you would claim this verse in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8, if you'd claim that, the promises of God, and say, God, change my thinking. 
It'll change, listen to me, it will change your life. Men, if you're thinking unholy thoughts, ladies, if you're thinking unholy thoughts, impure thoughts, hey, watch what you look at on your phone. Watch what you look like on, on the internet. Watch what you look at in, uh, in the stores or in magazines or somewhere. Watch what you look at, hey, out in, in the open. Because what you're feasting on and thinking about, you'll soon become. Think about things that are pure, honest, a good report, lovely. We need a revival of friendliness. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things.